amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Derek here of Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. Nominations are open for Best Local Podcast in Kansas City at thepitchkc.com slash bestofkc19. Please consider going to the Arts and Entertainment section and voting for Screen Heroes as the best local podcast of Kansas City in 2019. Nominations are open until July 8th, so please get your nomination in as soon as possible. Thank you for your consideration. Hey everybody, welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, this is episode 73, and it kicks off a little segment that we're working on called Prepping for Picard, and it's where my co-host Ray, hello, and I go through my top 20 quintessential Picard episodes from TNG to kind of prepare everybody for the Star Trek Picard series coming hopefully later in 2019, that's what we've been told. So, uh, this is the first one. This is kicking it off. Prepping for Picard number one. Woo! Woo! Which we are starting with, of course, the only place you can start, Encounter at Farpoint, which is the pilot in episode one of TNG, which premiered September 1987. September 28th, 1987. Um, it's the very first episode. It's a dual-length episode, of course. Um, lots will be talking about the episode, so there'll be spoilers and stuff for that so ray had you ever seen this episode before we watched it i thought i had but i guess i hadn't okay so um what what are some of your uh, initial more general thoughts before we dive like into picard no i don't yeah (laughs) no you don't want to give like a a hot take on a 1987 episode of star trek i don't there's lots of hot takes exactly Uh, like what am i gonna add to the conversation this episode has probably been dissected by many people a lot more invested in star trek than i am so i don't no one told you this this is the first time the episode's been discussed you hush on a podcast stop it um stop it (laughs) I will not be lied to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, let's let's do this then, because this is kind of a different thing for us. We're still finding our our space legs. Um, obviously, our emphasis is going to be on Picard, but I thought we should talk about the episode as a whole for context and things like that. So the sh- the episode really kicks off with um, you know it's it's all kind of about P- 
Picard. It's his first mission on board the Enterprise. Um, we don't know anything about him yet. He looks very different from Kirk. He acts and talks very different from Kirk. Um, when you watch this first episode, did you have any initial thoughts about his character at all? Any because you've seen other episodes, you've seen the four films. Did it's, you see this and like think that was weird or anything? No, it seems like he's pretty well defined, to be honest. Like based on what I've seen between, I have now seen his very first appearance and his very last appearance. That's true. And I'm catching up on the middle stuff, but his character doesn't seem to really change all that much. <laughs> he seems like the same guy from here that he does in Nemesis. A few more, you know battle wounds mentally of course but i i don't really see a huge change or think anything was weird he it seems that patrick stewart knew what picard was from the very beginning and knew how he wanted to play him that's fair okay so uh i always found him to be like extra rigid in this episode and and written a little weird i've always thought he was a very rigid character i thought that was the point of the Picard Riker relationship because Kirk and Spock was the wild loosey goosey versus the by the numbers guy. And this is a little bit flip flopped, you know. Riker's not as irresponsible as Kirk was. And of course, Picard's not as uh, emotionally cut off as Spock was, but it was a flip. So, I mean, I. That's just kind of how I always saw Picard is as a little bit rigid. So he's definitely more uh, composed and diplomatic than, you know, across his whole character compared to Kirk for sure. I just felt like in this episode, like, okay, we're not really going to go through these, these linear necessarily, but the scene that really sticks out to me is when Riker finally shows up on the ship. And, that took way too long. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Uh, but it's just the drive section, right? So he's on the battle bridge and Picard like doesn't even look over at him, mm -hmm. you know, and doesn't even really acknowledge him more than just having Tasha go show him the, the, the space balls. You're looking at now, everything that's happening now is happening now kind of home video of what just happened. And, um, I always thought that was really weird. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me that this, this guy who's supposed to be and does become like the, the the king of diplomacy is like really standoffish <laughs> i did not like that at all i was a bit turned off by that picard you know i said that i had always seen him as kind of rigid but he never seemed to shy away from you know blatant human decency and eye contact is the least he could have given to his new first officer like he could have at least stared him in the face that seemed like an odd choice and to be frank a disrespectful one right? <laughs> yeah like he does kind of turn his head at the end and says you know welcome aboard but like i don't i'm not even convinced they made eye contact when that happened yeah me either uh so that that scene always stuck out to me um but you know there, there's a, obviously a lot more in here to unpack we of course meet q uh, for the first yes. time and certainly not the last and for those who know the show well know how important his his uh appearance is in this episode but immediately his interactions with picard are kind of they're my favorite parts of the episode 
Yeah, this is definitely a Picard and Q episode. Everybody else could be interchangeable. They could fade to the background. So I don't really... It, like They were all just side players. They were pawns, and they could have been switched in and out. Mostly, yeah. Um, but like Picard's whole demeanor changes when he talks to Q. Yeah, he's... Well, in here, he's aggressive, and he is uh, disobedient, I guess, <laughs> and... I mean, yeah, he's he's even a little bit sarcastic at mm-hmm. times. Like there's this this smirk that he has, his reaction of like it's al- it's almost like disbelief that he's even wasting his time listening to Q. Yeah, and that builds off in in later meetups, and we don't really have a lot of Q stuff on this list of of quintessential episodes. And I guess I probably should have told people a couple episodes ago we or last week we did our quintessential Picard episodes. So this is the list that we're going through um anyway but i like that from the get-go picard refuses to get pushed around by it Mm -hmm. you know there's all these like it's kind of like a meme going around that talks about how you know picard can couldn't get rid of q and cisco did it in one episode because cisco punched him and um i mean i'm sure the punch had something to do with it you know but i like that Picard's Picard didn't give in to Q at any real point in time. The only time that Picard really gives Q any leash, especially in this episode, is when he admits that humans have done some terrible stuff in the past. Yeah. So I always has have this theory with eternal kind of beings in any sort of fiction that they're just able to feel a much deeper kind of love than we are cuz in the end we are such fleeting mortal beings. Our love... I mean, maybe you are. Mm. <laughs> Our love runs hot and it can run short. So we have like these intense but brief love affairs on this planet. And, you know, scientists say that the average human falls in love about seven times in their life. And I just, I feel like with Q, he falls in love with Picard, he falls in love with Janeway, but he never falls in love with Cisco. And that's fair. He doesn't have to fall in love with every single human. But it, it's in a friendship sort of way, or it's in um, a pet kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, even if it is a little bit romantic at times, doesn't have to be necessarily sexual. Yeah, there are a lot of people out there that see a like romantic interest there uh, from Q's side. I never got that, not even in Tapestry, which we'll get to yeah, later. Yeah, that's the only argument I could see. But even then, he's just playfully joking with him at times. So even if he slightly enjoys it, a being like that would probably never act on it because in his head, he probably views Picard as like his pet. Like, he wants this Labrador to live as long as possible. I mean, he wants to have a child with uh, Janeway in Voyager. See, now that that is more (laughs) believable. I've seen a few of the Q Janeway episodes, and he does seem to have a more romantic interest. And maybe that's just because John Delancey is a straight guy, and that's how he played it. Well, he and and, uh, Kate Mulgrew are friends in real life and were friends prior to their time on the show together. So that helped, of course. Whereas, sure. you know, John Delancey and Patrick Stewart met each other for this. Right. You know, so that's a, a different relationship to begin with. But but um, the Cisco story is supposed to be different. Cisco ha- yeah. isn't supposed to 
he's not Picard. Oh, well, he's also <laughs> not in the business of tolerating shenanigans. He's in the middle of organizing, I, I don't know, like trying to maintain the balance between the Bajorans and the Cardassians. He has no time for foolishness. <laughs> That is true. That's, that's always something going on. <laughs> and for Q is foolish. Like he's <laughs> he is. He's there to cause trouble. But there's some there's some cool stuff in here. You know, Picard keeps focusing on how we've bettered ourselves, how we've done better, how we've always strived to improve. And but he is not against. Um, you know, he's not shying away from the bad things we have done, and he admits and and, and cops to those things, which I think is important that he's able to stand up there. But I like that in the court, which is, you know, this ridiculous future court system and Q's got the red gloves and the hat. <laughs> and, uh, he looks just ridiculously. <laughs> I can't even take him seriously. Um, but, you know, Picard is still willing to not play along 100%. Yeah. You know, when they say everyone be seated and Picard like kind of waves his hand like, you better not sit down. <laughs> well, in the end, he still has quite a bit of respect and hesitancy when it comes to his crew when Tasha gets mad and she gets frozen which is some of the worst special effects (laughs) ever used twice in this episode yeah it was uh he he backed off he didn't want to sacrifice Tasha for his I don't know like arrogancy or ego whatever you want to call it probably yeah probably ego in this standpoint because like we don't really know what the consequences are of q's court yet really at at that point you know because he just talks about how the humans have gone too far they should go back to earth and and things like that and picard eventually agrees that if they're found guilty then they'll abandon all their space travel stuff right Um, i really liked how they showed a chunk of history that has yet to come it's very star trek to focus in TOS to focus on World War Two is like being the absolute worst humanity's ever gotten, and even though they set up the eugenics war of the nineties, right? So, I I really liked that they showed fake future human history mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's a thing. Well, because TNG focused a lot on the concept that we had a World War Three, yeah, and that the events of First Contact happened after that mm-hmm. so there's that kind of darkness of we'll reach that point but we have to go through some stuff first yeah you know and so like some of this stuff was really intense you know you've got the the soldiers who are addicted to a drug which maybe that idea was borrowed with the gem hadar and ds9 i don't know um and then you have like the courts where you know they got away with lawyers and you were guilty until proven innocent which again in ds9 they condemn the cardassians for because that's basically what the cardassian justice system is is that the um the outcome of the trial is determined before the trial but they're guilty of it as well because they view most cardassians and jim hadar as threats before they even get to talk to him so like they're right they're just as morally <laughs> guilty well, the, the difference there is the Cardassians are, they do that for everybody, even their own people. Yeah, of course. Versus the Federation or Bajorans are being uh, racist or speciesist, speciesist or xenophobic, which um, on one hand maybe could even be worse because it's discriminatory. Yeah. Like at least, you know, I don't agree with the Cardassian concept of, of determining the outcome, the verdict before the trial, but at least they do it for everyone. Right. <laughs> now, uh- 
DS9 is the one that I've seen the least of, and I've been popping in on your rewatch here and there. So it, we're in season three, yes. and season three, they're still giving Garrick shit. So everybody, it, I mean, he Garrick, there's like, always somebody who doesn't like Garrick throughout the whole show. And um, it has to, he's this kind of shrouded in mystery character. He's almost the Guinan of DS9, where he's clearly very interesting, very. But he's not just a tailor, just like Guinan's right. not just a bartender. Right. Now he's Cardassian, so he doesn't have any like more mystical abilities, right. but he clearly has connections and skills and knowledge and experiences that we never get to fully understand. And his relationship with Bashir is super cool, but I don't, I don't want to go too much off on that tangent. Yeah, that's fine. Let's go um, back to TNJ. <laughs> I apologize. This turned into something else really fast. So, so we, we learn a, a few things about Picard, right? So we, he doesn't like children. He does not like children or more specifically, he's not accustomed to working side by side with kids. He did mention that he has, nephews he, he does so he does. he's not necessarily against family he's just he's compartmentalized the two for so long he's very awkward around children it's a theme for his character that comes up later and uh so next this this coming sunday when this episode comes out this coming sunday is picard day and uh, i guess this is a good time to plug that this uh, picard day is june 16th why so it has to do with the way the star date was converted in an episode called uh the pegasus and that is an episode that is not on this list uh, of quintessential Picard episodes because it's really a Riker episode. Okay. Um, Picard is in the background of the B story with Picard Day and all the kids on the ship celebrating Picard Day and the awkwardness around that. And it's adorable. And uh, Star Trek.com actually has these cute little um, things you can cut out and make your own Picard doll like the one on the episode. So uh, I'm going to see if I can talk Ray into doing that. We're each going to make one and post it on Twitter. So you should follow us at Red Shirts Pod. And you can send us ours. If you want to go do yours, too, we'll share them um, as long as they're not inappropriate. But um, <laughs> or if they're the right kind of inappropriate, I'll be the judge um, on the queue in, of the Twitter. But um, anyway, so in that's just how Picard Day came to be was the conversion okay. of that episode. Um, so he's always awkward around children. He doesn't necessarily love the fact that this enterprise is a family ship that it has families on board it has civilians on board on a regular basis so that's something he has to grapple with and we see it immediately day one he's not comfortable around children and he tries to make an exception for will you know um because of who his father was and the fact that they were friends and you, you learn more about that as the show goes on too um but then you get a little spark of maybe Wesley's smarter than the average kid or knows his stuff a little bit better. Um, and then Picard kicks him off the bridge and Crusher gets his little uh, gets her little one liner basically saying, well, he was right. <laughs> My son was right. And then she, then they leave, which is cute. Um, well, uh, Crusher, uh, Wesley Crusher is such a polarizing character for me because on the one hand, it was very common for me as a child to be disbelieved or pushed aside because clearly I don't have experience or knowledge, even though a lot of the time I was right. So I I feel bad for him when everyone tells him to shut up or get out of the way. Right. But at the same time, he does say things that p 
poke and prod. And if it was my nephew or niece who was saying that in that tone to me to like one up me or something, maybe I would tell them to shut up too. <laughs> like, so I, I feel bad. I definitely don't think that he should have been bullied by fans. And no. like, that's unfair. I know a lot of fans that just hated his presence. Like children shouldn't be on the bridge and, it's really a shame because Will Wheaton, the the actor, of course, is a fantastic person and a cool guy. And you know, absolutely, that, that sucks that people are are mean to him. Again, actors and characters are not the same thing, right? Um, and so, every year he has to remind people to not tell him to shut up. <laughs> yep. Um, and that's frustrating. It's it's a it shame, is. really. And, and you know, the writing early on in, in TNG is not always great, anyway. Yeah. You know, Troy's got some terrible writing. Um, for example i mean a lot of the time crusher's there for no reason yeah they needed a doctor right they did because bones was such a great addition Mm -hmm. and they did away with the whole trinity being the focus of the majority of the stories they created data who was an incredibly fascinating character Mm -hmm. so it at least in the episodes that i've seen and all four of the movies the women get pushed to the side they had no idea what to do with them it's why i'm really enjoying ds9 because they figured out what to do with kira and dax pretty fast yeah i mean tng ran into some issues of course because uh gates mcfadden who plays uh, yeah she was fired and then rehired and yeah and pulaski wasn't that great that's uh, her name right pulaski yeah so I mean, again, we're going off on tangents here, but that all happens sometimes. The big problems with Pulaski had more to do with the fact that when she was introduced to everybody, she was replacing a character that a lot of people really liked. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. That a lot of people were shipping with Picard. Oh, I totally um, do. They have such great energy, and I just want them to kiss. So, so you already are replacing that relationship and yeah. that character. And then you introduce the new character by essentially insulting everybody's favorite, which was Data, Data at the yeah. time. And not literally everybody, of course, but the but Data was one of the fan favorites. He was yeah. really a standout. And Pulaski kind of insults him a lot, calls him an it, and talks about him as if he's not standing there. And mm-hmm. you know, at that point, the rest of our crew has grown to love Data and become their friends with Data, and they trust him, you know? Um it's, so she had a she had a tough job to do. <laughs> absolutely. It's wildly unfair because she could have been a really great character. It it bums me out that, you know, they didn't know what to do with Troy until she gets to the movies. Crusher mm, Maybe season like she six. Had, okay, that's fair. Her movie arc is just really good, minus that horrible storyline in Nemesis, but like they, really good. When she starts trying out to for the officer's exam. Uh-huh. That's when her character starts to get significantly better. And Man, they should have just started that in season two then. Well, so there's there's a lot of reasons behind that and you know, some of it is, you know, each person saying their own thing. But sure. Marina Sirtis was not it was not 
her way to tell writers what she wanted for the character. She thought her job was to act what the writers wrote. And I can respect that. There's there's a sense of that. But the other actors all went to the writers and made requests, in some cases demands, for what they wanted their characters to be like. Interests, hobbies, mm-hmm. social cues, things like that. And she did not do that for quite some time until she you know, seemed, seemed to get more frustrated by it and then decided to do that. And then her character started to become more interesting, was written better, was, you know, more consistent. Yeah. Uh, because it was more of her taking control of the character. And it's a bummer that Tasha or Denise Crosby didn't stay on the show because yeah. from episode one, it is very apparent that they had an idea for her and she played the crap out of it. Like, I, some of the stuff she said, looking back on it, is very cheesy. <laughs> sure. But she delivered it with such gusto and passion that you at least knew the character believed in what they were saying, even if it did come off cheesy. Like, So if she had continued, she could have been brilliant and they could have had a really great little trio of female positivity. Yeah, the loss of Tasha is a big one to the show in general. Um, That's why they they brought Denise Crosby back on multiple occasions using sci-fi methods to do that. And she's beloved by fans and and all that type of stuff. Also, Um, how cool would it have been to see Data and Tasha in like a legitimate relationship and not just have a one night stand? Like it would have been pretty cool. Yeah, and who knows what would have happened there? Um, but it would have been interesting. She would, I would have liked to have seen significantly more of her. Yeah. Uh, I think most people would think I that way. I actually didn't know she was even in the show until I got with you because she's not in the majority of press photos or just it, season one, exactly. Because her character, uh, she only yeah. recurs a f- uh, uh, four times, depending yeah. on how you want to count it. You know, after season one, um, so. It was clear from this episode they knew what they wanted to do with her. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you can kind of tell that they had no idea what they wanted to do with Jordy just yet or. Uh, well, that's why he's like, he's not an engineer. Season I one, know. like there's a joke in season one about how many chief engineers they have because every time they talk to the chief engineer, it's somebody else. <laughs> and it's it's Argyle a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, everything changed mm-hmm. after season one. But uh, so going back to Picard, we, we keep diving into other things. This, well, this is difficult. Maybe we should just call this segment teaching <laughs> track. Teaching, <laughs> teaching track. track. I like prepping for Picard because I can put the number four in there and it's a four lights joke. Oh, goodness. That, that, you know, the hardcore fans will get, you know. Well, Picard is just one piece of this show. We're going to talk about other parts of the show. That's true. Um, so... Other aspects that we can touch on um, with Picard, I guess, would be how he handles his relationships with his crew members. Absolutely. Yeah. How he interacts with them and everything. Well, so Data is his second officer from the beginning. And it doesn't look like that. He treats Data like the first officer. And seeing this, part of me wishes that he had been. Well, because he didn't know Riker. He yeah. hadn't met Riker yet. Riker wasn't on the ship yet. And what's really interesting is the dynamic there is Riker's not sure. At first, of course, he gets over it very quickly because it's 1987 television. But uh, at first, he's not sure that he likes the idea of an android officer on the bridge who's going to have people's lives on the line and oh, things like that. That's to be understood. Jonathan Frakes had probably seen the movie Alien. I get it. <laughs> now... Um, <laughs> That, that You can't tell me that aliens didn't inspire them to add an android and just be like, let's make him benevolent and not shady at all. Like, that's a very sci-fi thing. I really I mean. don't know that that question's been asked. I've never heard anything referenced that way. 
so as a writer going through college as a creative writing major I learned a lot about how small things can just resonate in your head and you want to twist them like Shakespeare himself had more than 20 to uh, I think 20 for the average play and then 50 for some of the bigger ones where we could dive deeper into literature that had come before and pick out what he was inspired by. So, you know, it it makes sense to me that they would have seen this massively popular film and been like, yeah, Android, that's very sci-fi. Let's have one on. and But we'll make them incredibly benevolent and kind of childlike wonder. So I always thought it was they wanted some type of futuristic robot, but it was too expensive. Oh, that could be too. That's how I always took it, honestly, because they, you know, they, there were always budget issues oh, on sure. Star Trek. Um, even it, today, it could have been a Lost in Space thing too. You know, they might have right. wanted somebody. I think that's. I mean, I think that's probably a little more likely because the Star Trek shows tended to learn from other shows. Yeah, you know, well, TOS but, couldn't do the robot thing no. at the time because they easily would have been called out for copying and. Uh, Roddenberry was very intense on being like as original as possible. Yeah, I also don't know that it would have worked on TOS from a from a logistical perspective with like the way the sets were built. You'd have to have a robot that could walk, and I don't That's think true. doing that in the '60s would have been feasible. Well, already Pike had a problem with women on the bridge, yes, so you know they they might have been uh, racist against robots. <laughs> um. But yeah, I just like how Picard has trust in Data and they already have a relationship. And I always kind of wanted to see how they met, how they got to know each other, if Picard picked Data or, you know, how that kind of. Oh, that's the novel you should write. That's the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's out there. I don't know. If there is, if somebody wrote that and that's out there somewhere. Please tell us the origin story of Picard and Data. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we don't really get to see him interact a whole lot with other crew members, though, because. Oh, he most interacts a lot with Troy. Yeah, I was going to get to Troy. <laughs> She's really awful in this episode, and it's not Marina Sirtis's fault. The writing is just so, like, soap opery. Yes. And. They had no idea what they wanted to do with the counselor. They. Well, like, her, her powers are already, in like, inconsistent and all over the place in, in one, one episode. episode. Yeah. You know, and um, I always like this. I really need to, like, I want to separate that this has nothing to do with Marina because that's not up to her. You know, that's not. You well, know. we've seen her act in so many other right. things. <laughs> but her character is just, um, it's tough to watch. And it's funny, you pointed out that she's wearing a uniform. She's wearing a, the Scants yeah, uniform. Yeah, Um And I, I kind of forgot that. To be honest, uh, it's been a while since I watched season one, but their relationship is weird because Picard obviously knows of all of her abilities, which as a captain, he would want to. Right. And he trusts in those abilities already. He's trying to leverage them and, and have her flex those muscles in pretty big moments when a lot is on the line. So, again, it shows that he's very good at, at, at delegating, at using the talents of his officers that, you know, he might not have at his disposal otherwise well a good captain knows what tools he has in his toolbox and that's just it like these people are on board to help get the enterprise where it's going in a safe manner so you know knowing that data can compound and understand information in lightning 
vast uh, time and knowing that Betazoids can interpret, they're empathic and a little bit telepathic at times. And, you know, he would use these without, you know, sacrificing their dignity or integrity or anything, but he would be aware and want to use these tools, a good captain would. Right, right. Um, I just like how in the first episode he's showing his trust in them already. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think that's that's the key. Um, you don't really get to see him, you know, interact much with Worf or Jordy. Uh, there's a little bit, but nothing too crazy. Mm-hmm. They're very split up in this episode. You know, you have the uh, the crew on the planet where Riker and Crusher and Jordy and Wesley meet for the first time. Then you have the away team with Riker, Troy. Um, uh jordy and tasha you know they're all kind of separated all the time so story-wise if for an opening episode it makes sense that not everybody would be together and you would have some people come in and meet i don't understand why the enterprise would be taking on so many new crew members in incredibly important positions like did you have a massive turnover just recently well it's a brand new ship so so did that's they something say that did i miss out on that <sighs> was that like bones said that at least it has the right name but i didn't really get the feeling that it was that new yeah so i don't remember how it's phrased in the episode i apologize but yeah it's brand new this is okay. its first mission um i easily could have missed that i was really focused on the fact that Jordy's visor hurts. Yeah, that that's a common thread for like his character. That that just made me really sad, and I don't think I'd ever heard that before. <laughs> yeah, so so this is its first mission, straight up. Um, and the way that usually works, well, a lot of the times when someone becomes captain, they're allowed to reassign different positions and bring in certain people depending on who they are. Now, what you don't know yet in the show is that this is not Picard's first command. He was captain already on a previous ship, the Stargazer. Right. And told so, me that. So he already has experience. He has clout. People know him. People trust him. And now the Enterprise is the flagship. This is the flagship of the Federation. It's a diplomatic science exploration vessel, and he's the captain of it. So giving him the ability to pick some of his officers is a really big deal. Okay. Um, and... You know, I, I just I think that they don't really touch on that too much. Um, you learn about it over time. Okay. How significant the Enterprise is and things of that nature. It's it's a brand new design of a ship. Like, they only made two to begin with, um, you know, which is kind of a big deal. So, you know, it, they talk about let's seeing what the ship can do and all of its new abilities, like the saucer separation or the way the, the hallway computers work. The holodeck is, you know, relatively new technology. Like, right. You know, the idea is that a holodeck like that doesn't exist on other ships yet. Okay. You know, so it's all state of the art. It's all brand new. You know, they're pushing the engines to their capacity and Picard has to make his big speech about, you know, you have a right to know that this means we'll be going above safety, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And um, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, seeing seeing what this brand new thing can do. And it's supposed to be the, the top of the line and, and all of that. So sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's not so much that there was turnover as much as it's a new crew altogether. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so what else? Is there anything else about Picard that stood out to you in this episode? Anything that raised questions or concerns even? I, I don't know about that, but... No, I feel like he handled 
Q as best as he possibly could with the limited knowledge he had about Q. Later on, I as his relationship, it never seems that his fondness that Q has for Picard is reciprocated to the same degree, and I'm not quite sure why Picard never stopped tolerating his antics, because, like, for me, Q is the equivalent of an online troll. Like, he screws with me, and sometimes it's fine and easily washed away with the rest of the day, and other times it's really offensive, and I just need to hit the block button already. Like, why hasn't Picard hit the block button? In this (laughs) episode, I feel like it's fine, you know? Like, there's no... Well, he he handles him the correct way with the amount of information he has. You'd have to watch. So if I'm if I'm doing my math right, I believe Q was in seven episodes of TNG. Okay. Um. Then he had an episode in DS Nine and three on Voyager. I think is the math on that. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong, but it's been a little while. Anyway, those episodes are all pretty pretty different at times. Sometimes Q is an antagonist. Right. Sometimes he appears to be an antagonist, but he's really not an antagonist. Other times he's neither of those, and he's along for the ride, and he's the protagonist at times. Um, his character is very complex. And sure. Picard never really writes him off, I think, because Picard is fascinated with Q, with the concept of the Q and the Q continuum and what they represent and the nah. fact that at one point the Q were like us. You know, they were, you know, corporeal, bipedal species, you know, they were they were very similar to humans at one point in time. And I think Picard looks at Q as a possible view of what's to come for human abilities and understanding, you know, like Q can do for some pretty amazing things. And we get to see some of that later. Um, and there isn't really a block button. I mean, we could say that Q left Cisco alone because he punched him. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think there could be a lot of reasons for why Q didn't bother Cisco. I think Q liked Picard. And what's Picard going to do to keep Q away? There's no shield, weapon, or warp speed that, that is helpful in that situation. Could punch him. I mean, I don't know if that's, that would do It was anything, a joke. You know? It was a joke. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the introduction to Picard. So there's not a whole lot of in- of depth to, to really talk about here. Right. Because it was also the introduction to everybody else too. So right. it's not as Picard centric. It does completely set up his character the way you would expect. And I, it, it just also focused on so many other characters to a certain degree that they had to establish and at least introduce and name everybody. Yeah, and that that's the thing. Like if I was going to pick, you know, my top 10 episodes of Picard, I don't this would not be on the list, but if I'm talking about preparing people to understand who Picard is, to prepare for a show when they don't know the backstory, prepping for Picard, right? Um Right. You have to know where where he begins. And so I think that's why you have to have this one on your list of quintessential Picard episodes to learn where he came from, what he's about, how he put the crew together. And how he and Q kind of began their relationship. Because that's it's pretty key to his character, in all honesty. Even though I thoroughly do not expect we will ever see John Delancey's Q ever again. That's too bad. But, you know, you never know. 
they could de-age him or he could they could make him look old on purpose there's some yeah i mean why wouldn't the q uh, they could come up for a reason why the q age if they can come up well we already know they don't oh because he he's like a millennia old already but Hmm. but what we do know is that q can make him look like whatever make himself look like whatever he wants and he does make himself look like an old man on a very specific occasion that you'll see at some point when we get to it but anyway um i know it's a little bit shorter than our normal episodes but i don't want to stretch these out on purpose so yeah I imagine that some episodes will require like a two-hour talk, and others will be like, "This was fun." Right? Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's it then for us. I think we'll wrap things up here. This is the first episode of prepping for Picard. If you want to know the full list, listen to last week's episode, episode seventy-two, for my top twenty quintessential Picard episodes. We could post something on the website too—an article or something—and it just has the list. And I mean, I could. But then, you know, I want people to listen to the episode. Well, yeah, know? absolutely. <laughs> well, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll help you out with that, I think. Yeah. But um, Ray, if people want to talk to you about whatever, yeah. how might they find you? They can find me at Siren Ray. If you want to talk to me, Twitter is absolutely best because I love Twitter. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are great for looking at my photos. <laughs> Don't DM me there. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'm, of course, the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook. Come talk to me at both places. Um, we also co-host together Screen Heroes, which yep. is the longest running show here on the Heroes Podcast Network. So please go check that out. We are well over episode 160 now. So we've been doing this for quite some time. But, you know, just like Star Trek, TNG, we're episodic, we, so we you can jump in at any time. That's true. We are episodic, so please uh, consider checking us out. We just reviewed X Men: Dark Phoenix. Um, we're gonna much be, to our chagrin. Yeah, that was our most recent episode, but we we do some retro reviews in a, a segment we called "Fill Our Holes" because the, the three of us have missed some along the way. We also have like body holes that you know, just like everybody else. Sure, orifices. Yeah. Orifices. Orifici, orifices, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever the plural is. Um, anyway, that's going to be it for us. Thank you for joining. I hope you enjoy this segment. We'll be dropping these episodes in as we can or want to, uh, as my uh, my cohort Greg is available or not, or we'll we'll just we could, drop these uh, whenever. Create that article and update it every time there's a new episode, and put the link next yeah. to when our review is. That's a good idea. I'll think about that. Yeah, yeah. I got those. Yeah. All right, we'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or HeroesPodcast.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please support us. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash heroes podcasts. And we also have a coffee, ko-fi.com slash heroes podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Live long and prosper.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.